Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell on a hump day. It is Wednesday. Danny Cannell, Raja Bell hanging out. we got a monster show lined up for you. we got a lot of NBA reaction as you had uh, the playoffs in full force right now. we got Pete Blackburn. It's going to help us break down all our oh, NHL baby. talk, which I'm actually really enjoying our discussions with Pete because we're both getting educated right. about what's going on, and we keep just trolling him because his picks continue to lose, <laughs> and he put his jinx on his own Boston Bruins, so we'll have to give him a hard time about that. And there are actually NFL odds released for not this year, not this season, but next year's 2020 NFL draft right. about who could be the top picks in that draft, so we're going to break those down a little bit later in the show. But first... It was game two last night, Warriors, Rockets. We had talked a lot about the referees, the calls, the non-calls. So my question for you, Raja. Yep. When you watched the first quarter of that game, did you say, did you see something that said, okay, they are going to get this correct? Is it going to be different? What would your assessment be when you're watching that first quarter of the game? Because I think everybody was watching with very close eyes saying, all right, how are they going to call this game? Yeah, I thought it affected Houston early. Um, the fact that the refs came out and doubled down on we're going to let you guys play. They did not come out and start calling ticky-tack fouls and react to the way Houston had acted in the media. They came out and doubled down on this is going to be a physical, old-school type of basketball series. Um, and I thought Houston looked like they were still searching for some of those calls. They wanted some calls that they normally get in the regular season that the refs didn't give them in game one. They expected them in game two. And the refs doubled down on they weren't going to do that. Then Houston kind of settled in, and I thought it was a well-officiated game. Um, you look at the free throws. Uh, Houston shot 25 free throws. Golden State shot 24 free throws. You start looking at numbers like that, there's parity there. there. It was a well-officiated game, and Steve Kerr had the best quote. You didn't know that the refs were there, and that's the biggest compliment you can kind of give them. Absolutely. That's been my hope for every championship game, playoff game that we've watched over the last year. And unfortunately, all we've talked about is officials, how much of a part they've come into play in big moments in a lot of these games. So I am so happy that we're not sitting here talking about Scott Foster and his beef with the Rockets and right. we're still complaining. Draymond after said they thought they uh, had a great officiated game. Do you think behind closed doors, though, the Rockets kind of wish they had called it? Because you're saying they let it be, you know, a physical game. They made it clear. That tip, that does not favor the Rockets, who like to get those calls, who try to draw in a lot of them, obviously, with Harden step back. But Chris Ball also... Do you think that favors the Warriors? I do. Like, do you think behind closed doors they're still a little bit upset because they can't they can't complain anymore? I, Bad look. No, I do think given given their choice of the way a, a series would be officiated, be tight, they, right? They like would, a lot of free throws. They would fouls. want a lot of free throws, a lot of whistles, ticky tack fouls. Um, but that's just not what the NBA is going to do in the playoffs. They've they've shown you that in Game One. They doubled down in Game Two. You should know by now. I do think it really affected Houston coming out of the gate. You didn't see James Harden or those guys shoot nearly as many step-back threes. I, I thought it really affected the way it looked like they were pawing at something. Do you know, like, you know when two boxers come out? Yes. And they're trying to establish, they're trying to get a feel for it. And, you know, one boxer gets hot and starts, you know, comboing up and stuff. And the other one is still kind of pawing around, trying to figure out the rhythm of the game. They looked like they were pawing around offensively for a long time. They didn't settle in really offensively until James Harden got hurt. 
they brought that kind of second unit in with Austin Rivers and those guys. There wasn't as much isolation play, and then they started, you know, they started scoring the ball a little bit. All right, you mentioned so the, the officials were not a part of the game, but injuries were. You just mentioned to James Harden getting hurt. Let's uh, have a listen to him afterwards talking about what he was dealing with with that eye injury. Can't see nothing. <laughs> Whooped out. See? Barely can see. I'm sorry, what? I barely can see. I, I can't hear you. Got you good. Barely can see. Oh, barely can see. Yeah. Were you able to get any relief from drops or anything else? That yeah, they put a couple of drops, a couple of... Uh, Man, he whooped out over here. He looked like thriller. <laughs> a couple of uh, drops that, that help it, you know, numb it a little bit. But, I mean, just all the lights was, was blurry. All right, so that was James Harden obviously talking about his eyes. <laughs> and even the thing, like, can, can with a reporter not hear? Like, what is wrong with her? Is she, does right. she have a hearing aid or something? Because he was saying it three times. He was getting frustrated. And then he was trying to look and squinting like he still could not see. Correct. Still explaining injury. Um, I, he still had 29. He still was three for seven from three-point line. Like, he still looked at, like affected him all light. My thing was... And this is this is Coca got mad at me when I said that. I was like, was it really that bad? Like he acted like he was blind and couldn't see anything. Right. I'm sure it impacted him. It was probably uncomfortable. But if you're still able to go out there and have 29, like I get it. But I also think I would have been the same guy that likes to talk about how much it hurt and how I was this heroic performance. Right. Like I, I get where he's coming from. Yeah, I think there was probably a, a little extra theatrics, if you yeah, will, on just top a of that. Little bit. But having an eye injury like that will throw you off. Maybe not as much. You have a running back. Probably not the worst thing in the world to have an eye injury. Re- receiver, you're trying to track a ball maybe a, a little worse. Trying to throw a basketball into that little ring over there. If your eyes are blurry with all of those bright lights, and by all accounts, you could look at them and just see that those eyes were bloodshot. They were yes. red. It was affected. I, I do imagine that it that it had, you know, I don't know to what degree it affected him, but he was affected by it. You could see it. And you could see when he came back, his passes were off a little bit. He didn't look confident. He got into a rhythm late. But I'm telling you, he even when he came back from the injury, he was just really, really passive offensively. And I'm going to give him a pass to some degree because of the eye thing. But when you have done so much for that team offensively all year long, and in a game like that, your teammates look around and they're like, why isn't James doing James? Not not that you're successful at doing James, right. but why isn't James trying to do James? To the degree that we're used to seeing him do it, it puts your 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 teammates in a really weird space, right? Because I'm I'm used to playing a certain role, Holmes. Right now, especially guys, if the stretch when Chris Paul was out and he's averaging thirty a game, yeah, yeah. Relied, he basically put the team on his back. So if you're not that type of player, all of a sudden it does in fact if flow of everything, right? And I felt like at, at some points in that game he wasn't aggressive, and I thought that that kind of put the rest of his teammates in a weird space. Now he got back to it; they had a chance to win that game again. Um you know, but anytime, and I'm sure you got somewhere else to go with this, but anytime you're on the road in a game, um, and they've had chances to win both of those games, you cannot turn the ball over 17 times. They had 17 turnovers and they gave away, um, 18 offensive rebounds. So, you know, to a layman, you're like, what happens there? Well, Houston shot 77, uh, field goals. Golden State shot 91 field goals. You're giving them extra opportunities at the rim with the turnovers and the offensive rebounds, you're going to get beat. And they were right there. They shot better than Golden State. They shot 47% from the field. Golden State shot 46. They were blistering from three, shot 42.5%. Golden State only shot 30%. You're supposed to win those games. 
You are, even on the road, but you can't turn it over 17 times and give away 18 offensive rebounds. So James Harden I wasn't the only injury. Clay Thompson's finger, no, excuse me, Steph, Steph Curry's finger when he dislocated it was pretty nasty as Eat well. It. I was, that's kind of the way I felt yeah. like, hey, you go in there, you get a pop back in place, it'll be a little bit sore. You don't even have to go in there. That's something that they pop back right there. That's what I thought too. Yeah. It I'm kind of stuck out there. Like I was wondering, like when's he going to get that thing popped back in? Like he kept waiting, waiting. When like right, right. And then he ran in. Like, like just do it already. The longer it. it'll hurt, worse. The longer you let it sit there, because yeah. you still have some fresh adrenaline. This pump. He was relatively tough. He didn't stay in the back long. He no, he came out pretty quick. Out. I, I was you, really so going to be mad kind of, if if he stayed in there. Right. Yeah. Do you have? I'm sure you've popped fingers out of place a bunch. Yeah, sure. And then how much would it impact? It's his non-shooting hand. So it's the guider, right? It's yeah. the one that guides the ball. Which should that have any impact on him moving forward, other than just a little bit of discomfort? Yeah, well, so I wouldn't tape it. I, I wouldn't like if they just some pop, guys I, do the double tape where they'll he tape double, it next. He to buddy the taped it like that, and I mean that really changes the way you can catch a ball, right? Yeah, you know, like if you're used to having those fingers spread out and you catch it, and you know that's your gather hand and you're up to shoot. When you buddy tape it. It changes the way you catch. It changes the way you can control a ball in your hand. So it will have a real effect on you when you decide to buddy tape it if you haven't practiced like that for a while. And it did have some effect on him last night. I would have just, you know, probably me, I wouldn't have buddy taped it. I would just popped it back in. I would have went no tape. If it was too painful, I would have went one finger tape. So that it just, that's. Yeah, yeah, it has some sort of, uh, some structure to it and some support on it. Would you take anything? Did you take any painkillers? Would you just take Advil? Would you uh, take anything at all? I, you, I wouldn't take like a true painkiller in a game. You'd take probably an Advil or something like for, for some swelling, but not like a, a pain blocker. Did anybody else? I don't know. Cause I, it was pretty commonplace. And I don't then, know. <laughs> there was some issue. I don't know. You might get something a little stronger. And at times when you did, they were like, it'd be like the towel hovered around you. Like, here, take this. Right, right, like, right, right. Take this real quick. I, um, I'm, so, but I mean, that felt obviously a little bit different. You're dealing with hits every play and there are a little bit more significant injuries you're trying to We fight. did. I'm trying to think. I had, I, when I tore my calf, it was 07, maybe 06. I don't remember, but they didn't give me pain meds. I did pain blocking through, um, I talked about it yesterday, acupuncture. Right. You know, we did that, and it, and for all intents and purposes, I couldn't feel the lower half of my leg. It was pretty remarkable, but I, I didn't take, like, any of the pain killers before I played. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Steph does do the uh, tape, the buddy, if he has two fingers or not. Um, there's been a lot of pressure on Kevin Durant throughout his career, uh, whether it was in Oklahoma City, then he goes to uh, the Warriors, and he took a lot of heat. He's kind of turned into this villain player. But I tell you what, he has responded in a monster way. He's had epic performances, not only throughout the regular season, but this postseason in particular. Yeah. It does feel like he's taking over the greatest player in the world role from LeBron James. And I think it's pretty interesting how he talked about, because, you know, we, we talk about this pressure that he's under. Yep. And I think he has a pretty good perspective. Listen to what he said about the pressure he's playing under as a superstar on the Warriors. Once you realize it's just basketball and pressure is not, you know, the pressure that a lot of these guys go through and they normalize, they realize how they came up is, you know, what their family's been through, this is not really pressure to them. I seen a quote with Damian Lillard said the other day, and I thought that was perfect what he said. Um, if you haven't seen it, go look at it. All right, so we got Damian Lillard's quote pulled up. It says, fam, this is just playing ball. Pressure is the homeless, man. Who doesn't know where his next meal is coming from? Pressure is the single mom who was trying to scuffle and pay her rent. Um, he continues, we get paid a lot of money to play a game. Don't get me wrong, there are challenges, but to call it pressure is almost an insult to regular people. I love that mindset. Yeah. That's a great perspective on it. I think they're just, I think you have to realize though that there are differences in those types of stresses and those types of pressure. Cause I don't, I love the mindset. I think that's the mindset you should have, 
But there still is a tremendous amount of pressure on Kevin Durant and Dame Lillard and LeBron James and all these players, but it's just a different type of pressure. It's not a, like those situations he's talking about are almost life and death. Right. Putting food on the table, roof over your head. Those are much more significant. So I think you look at them from a different perspective, but I do think there's a lot of pressure on guys. And you listen to the amount of players that have mental disorders and have mm-hmm. talked about the anxiety. Maybe they need to take a page from Damian Lillard and say, hey, you know, how do, how can I look at this differently? I think that. You, you are correct in that there is a ton of pressure on professional athletes and, and, um, the ones that are able to be these assassin type of close games, close series, hit big shots from 30 feet and 35 feet, those type of guys, the guys that do that over and over again have the ability to look at it through that lens where this really isn't anything to me. For whatever reason, maybe their upbringing was, was so tough. That it's all a blessing for them to be here and they see it that way and that's, and that's great. But for whatever the reason is, they have an ability to separate themselves from the very real pressure that exists and just play a game, you know, and play the game, you know, the, the way they've always played the game and not change anything because of the magnitude of the situation. I do really believe the ability to do that is what separates greats, uh, from, from good players. Right. I think there's a difference too in what Damian Lillard's talking about. I think, Year round, like if you're having trouble sleeping at night, mm-hmm. then I think you go to that mindset. Hey, I got a roof over my head. I got millions in the bank. I need to just relax right. and realize that it's a game. But when there's 20 seconds on the clock and the game's coming down, you're on the road and you're playing in a road environment. I think that's a different type of very real pressure that's on these guys. And I think at those moments, I don't think it matters where you were raised or what mindset you have. It's almost a natural killer instinct that you have where you're just a closer and you like the pressure. You like the magnitude of the yeah. situation. You want the ball in your hands so you can win the game. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like a totally different I do. type of Some people are built for that and some right. aren't. Um, I was a guy. It was never really my job to close games. I wasn't that good of a player, but I never minded big stages. I liked them. I, I actually was the type of – I had that villain personality where – the more you booed me, the more pressure it was, the more I enjoyed playing in it. And so that really didn't affect me. There are other guys that are really, really good players. They just aren't built for, for, for big stages. You know, the lights get bright. There's more on the line. Um, and it's just not in their DNA to do it. And so I, I think that's a personality character. Do you think you can teach it? Because I'm actually you – know, my daughter plays golf, and we were talking about this before the show. And I notice a difference in her when we're practicing, playing nine holes out, having fun, relaxing. Right. And when we get into a tournament, I see her get a little bit tighter. I see her tempo speed up and I see her start to freeze. And I'm trying to teach her every, I'm catting for her. So I'm sure. right there with her. I'm like, Hey, it's just me and you out having fun, you every know, out, the out there. And, but yet I don't know if I can teach that. I think it might just be in an eight where she's going to have to learn how to deal with that pressure as opposed to fooling herself into thinking it's a practice. Well, you asked if you could teach it. I don't think that you can teach it. I do think that you can learn it mm-hmm. right from experiences. Um, you know, uh, calming yourself down in, in, in those environments, having the failures in those environments and figuring out, you know, what it would take to succeed. Once you have a little success that registers with you, you keep that in the back of your mind. And then it's like anything. Once you have more and more success at it, you develop a taste for it. You have a confidence level in it. So I think you can learn it, but I don't think that that's something that you can teach to a young kid. Right. You either have it or you don't, um, at that point. But, the more times you're in a situation like that, given some success, if you can get over the hump one of those times, I think that you can learn how to be good in those situations. We've talked a lot about um, the mental aspect of sports. And, you know, if you're in a slump, whether it's basketball, football, whatever, baseball, that if you have the ability to go back and actually watch yourself mm-hmm. succeed, 
to do that. Put in those positive uh, visuals in your brain. I've talked to my daughter about, hey, do you remember when you hit this shot and during the round, like trying to sure. get her to be there? Unfortunately, a lot of times she'll be like, man, I missed that putt the last hole. And I'm like, stop. I'm like, block that out. Don't yeah. think about that. Think about the times you made it and picture it in your you know mind what, you and know try what, to do the vision. You know what you should possibly try? And I've, I've tried this. I, I've, you know, tried it a couple times. Mike D'Antoni was great at it. What he would do for us was, you know, a lot of teams have their pregame. Um, and you break down with, with, you know, your group or your guards, your bigs, and you go through what you're going to game plan for and do. And then Mike would get us all back together. I don't know if he still does this. And he would have a highlight clip of our last timeout against said team. Um, you know, me just knocking down three, Steve Nash going crazy, dropping dimes, assistant Amari coming through and dunking, Sean Marion. And so the last thing you saw before you went out on the court was all of that, you know, those positive vibes from the last game. So I've done it with my boys. Like I'll do it with my, my older one for, yep. for big games. I'll, I'll show him jump shots that he's made or throws that he made or tackles that he made. Um, maybe you keep some clips in, I need in, to. on your phone and you can just, you know, in between holes, just yeah. say, look at you. I strike need to that. because. I remember now that you say that when I was at Florida State, I thought one of the coolest things was a Friday night before the game. We do our our pep, you know Coach Bowden would give the talk, the X's and O's, and then the last thing we did was we saw this hype video. Now me, I was thinking everybody's getting hyped up for the game, right? But I don't know if Coach Bowden meant to do this, but they were all positive images. Absolutely, and we were seeing them all. Mike Shanahan did the same thing when I was on the Denver Broncos. He would do the Friday, the Saturday night meeting before the game. After we were done with the X's and O's, he put on a tape. Now it didn't have the cool music, which I kind of bothered, but he would go through the best plays of the previous sure, week. Sure. And it was all positive reinforcement. Like as much as you can do that, you can. So I'm going to have to take some, uh, some videos now. My daughter, when we're out practicing and try to yeah, try keep absolutely. track of these and, and, uh, build up that confidence for sure. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe the Rockets will have to do that too. The one thing that I did not love about that game, Chris Paul, I- I've always been kind of, uh, indifferent toward him. Like, I've appreciated him as a great player. Yeah. But his antics, man, some of the stuff, They're like, over he the was top. celebrating the yeah. foul call when James Harden got the call on You're him. not helping. Like, no. And maybe he was in, maybe he's on the road. He's doing that to no. be a little bit of a villain, or is he always like that? It's pretty much how he That's is. That's who he is. Yeah, it's who he is. Right. It's pretty true to Maybe call. I don't like him just like uh, everybody. Yeah, no, I, Chris Paul's one of those guys where if he's on your team, he's great. But you ask a lot of guys <laughs> in the NBA, and they might tell you a different story about Chris Paul if they hadn't played with him. Yeah. Uh, a dude off the court seems to be a great guy. Yeah, on the court can be a little can be a little <laughs> yes. dicey sometimes. I just want to say this about this series. I know everyone's written Houston off. You're not supposed to win on the road. Mm-hmm. It's, that's you got to do a steal one. You got to steal one. They did not do it. What you now have to do is hold serve at home. They've been right there in both ball games, and I don't think you've seen the best version of Houston. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't count them out. I know it, it doesn't look good when a team goes down 0-2, but you're not. You're supposed to in a series. You're supposed to be down 0-2 when you come back home if you're the road team. Yep. Now you come home, you hold serve. Um, it, you'll play better. You'll if you play kind of like you did on the road in those two games, you'll probably win both home games. They were right there in those games. This is still a series, I would imagine. They and do I, have to get game three, obviously. And I hope it does. I hope it is a series. It could be great for the NBA. It's supposed to be the most compelling series of the playoffs so far. I hope it lives up to that. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell, recapping the NFL, our NBA playoffs that were going on. So the Eastern Conference, I'm really mad. I'm really ticked off. <laughs> you know why? No, tell me why, buddy. What did we talk about the last time the series, I think, I forget who it was, but anytime the higher seed, the home team, mm-hmm. loses game one, what is the bet you're supposed to take? Yeah, home team game two. Home team game two, desperate, mm-hmm. backs against the wall, yeah. sense of urgency, all that crap. I also think there's a, on the flip side, the other visiting team, the underdog, kind of relaxes. Relaxes. We've done what thinking, we need to do. Yeah, we got our home court back. Yeah. We're going to go back. We're going to play at home. So, yeah, this game's kind of – I did not bet the game. So, I'm yeah. mad at myself for doing that. I actually did take the Warriors – Minus five, which they covered. Okay. But I also took the under, which mm. did not hit. I did a little parlay. I got a little greedy. Um, so anyway, the Bucks respond with a monster blowout. So they would have covered easily. They come out super impressive. Giannis looked a lot more comfortable. He had 29. Uh, Chris Middleton also had a huge night, which I thought was probably the bigger story of the game. Because it can't be all Giannis. He has to get some from the sporting cast. Middleton had 28. He was seven of 10. Yeah. Uh, from the three point line. Um, I don't know. I was I was kind of feeling Boston a little bit in this series, thinking maybe they were uh, the Milwaukee's were ripe for an upset, and still they might be. They get to go back to Boston, but this was an impressive response from Milwaukee, doing exactly what they had to do. Yeah, I, I thought coming into this series that M- Milwaukee was going to be the better team. It became obvious in Game One, uh, really early in Game One, that Boston was the sharper of the two teams in in that game. Um, I thought Milwaukee would continue to look better in the series. The question was, could they figure out on the fly how to counter what Boston was doing to them with with the bodies that they were throwing around Giannis? And sometimes it's just as easy as making shots. If yeah. they're gonna, Giannis was coming down the court when he's got the ball at the top. He's got his defender. And two wing defenders almost in his lap. There are three people at any given time tried to guard Giannis. Guys have to step up and make shots. And in game one, you had, uh, you know, Chris Middleton with 16, Giannis with 22, uh, Nikola Miritich with 13, and nobody else in double figures. You know, last night they had one, two, three, four, five, five guys in double figures and a bunch of guys around nine and, and eight points. He got point production from other people. And then on the flip side of that, they were flat game one off, uh, defensively. You know, they gave up 50-some percent from the field to Boston. Boston was clicking. They weren't up. There's a huge difference, and I say this all the time, between playing someone like this Mm -hmm. defensively, where in this scenario, you're really comfortable. Right. Like, this is just like park basketball. You're still going to dictate the terms offensively. I'm going to be second-guessing, like, where I'm going, playing off of you. But when you get all All the way up up in in somebody's grill— now I'm dictating the terms, and you got to try to play outside of your comfort zone. They didn't do that. Milwaukee didn't do that to Boston in game one. They did it yesterday. They only shot 39% from the field and 35% from three. Um, the, and, that, and that translates into wins. It, it just does. Your star player, Kyrie, goes four for 18 for nine points. He was a minus 19. You're going to get beat if you're the Boston Celtics. Now the question becomes... Can Milwaukee take that on the road? Mm-hmm. Can they go out in Boston and and steal a game to flip this series uh, uh, back on schedule? Because 
you know, like Boston is a really tough building to play in. So Kyrie talked about his game. He said, quote, they did a great job of switching tonight and forcing me left. I started the game off well, getting downhill and setting an example for my teammates of how we want to play. I just didn't put my stamp on that. I thought it was interesting him saying, hey, they did a good job of forcing me left. Isn't that basically telling them how what they need to do the next game? Um, or does, does everybody kind of know that? That's what you're going to try to force them to do. He has to make the adjustment now. Yeah, I mean, he's so good with the ball that trying to force someone left becomes becomes difficult when 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 you get first of all when you give him left and we've had this debate before right you can give someone left yes and then you can force someone left giving someone left opens up your defense to a lot of other problems because it's a straight line drive to the rim there's a lot of help that has to happen and now you're kicking it out and guys are having a field day you know around the perimeter forcing someone left when they're as good off the dribble as Kyrie is not the easiest thing in the world because he starts to get you moving to the left, and then before you know it, he's whipped it behind his back, and he's moving back to the right. Um, so, yeah, in theory, you would want to do it to Kyrie. It's much easier said than done. All right, so let's keep an eye on that series. Is there any? What do I need to do with this next game in Boston? What's the trend? What do you tell me? I, I, I need a guarantee. I don't know. I I I, I, I probably take I probably take Milwaukee has to get game three in my opinion to get it back on schedule i think so because if you give boston the 2-1 lead i just feel like you want to, yes i think milwaukee needs to come out and get game three i'd, I'd probably take milwaukee game three. boston's a two-point favorite i might they might talk me into the money line for the milwaukee bucks at plus uh 105 but we'll, we'll get we'll get those official after that's tough one man a little bit more to study some tape um nfl news so the green bay packers moved on from clay matthews right long time uh the Green Bay Packer, he signs with the Rams. He's moved on. So they drafted Rashawn Gary out of Michigan in the first round. Right. First thing they did, what everybody does, they put out these uh these pictures of their new draft pick mm-hmm. in their jersey so you can get a visual of what it's going to look like. Yeah. Well, what number is Rashawn Gary? He's wearing number 52 in the green and gold. Yeah. And I, he looks pretty good. He, like, look he good looks like an NFL too. linebacker all right. of a sudden. So Clay Matthews commented on it. A little emojis. I don't know. What are those? Like scrunchy faces? I don't even know. Oh, no. And said the body's not even cold yet. LOL. Um, he was taking some heat. I don't think it's – I think he's kind of joking about it. I think it is kind of funny. I don't have any problem with the Green Bay Packers giving Clay Matthews' number out. It's no. Not, I don't, you don't, he's not yeah. going to be retired anytime soon. Correct. What are we talking about here? Now, hopefully Clay Matthews was having a little bit of fun with this. I think he was. And and, and in that case, then I think it was kind of funny also. Um, if he – you know, but sometimes in 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 the humor or in the joke, there's a shred of truth, right? Like maybe he felt some kind of way about that. Yes. But you should not, because you chose to sign somewhere else. Your jump, your number is not retired, and they bought in a young. You know, was he their first round pick? Uh who? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, pick, so right? it's like, it's like uh, I don't know. Should there be a break? No period no, where you get no. this year to kind of let everybody get over you it. Left me, Holmes. I, <laughs> I agree. So what talking about, I I do think there was a shred of. A little bit of hurt for yeah. Clay Matthews. I think it's good that he's able to laugh of it, to, to make light of it like this. Inside, you know it hurts a little bit. And you're like, dang, they move on fast. But that's life in the NFL. People will move on very quickly. The fans, they'll be buying Rashawn Gary jerseys. Or even worse, they'll be cutting off the Matthews, covering it up Taping with Rashawn Gary's Absolutely. name on it. So it's just, that's the type of business it is. I do think it'll be interesting. I mean, he's all-time leader, Clay Matthews, all-time leaders in sacks, tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really the big defensive categories. I was talking to Coke about this before. Sure. I think he will be a ring of honor type yeah. guy. You know, he'll have his name one day up there. But I don't think, it's not like number 52 is so, going to be retired forever. But so what happens if Rashawn Gary comes in Ooh. and doubles down on the production that you got out of Clay Matthews or even 
uh, bests it in some categories. What happens to 52 then in the Great ring of scenario honor? for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yeah. That happens. But two fifty twos up. Yeah, you could yeah, do that. I mean, right. just put their name up there. That'd be great. Right. And I was trying to think, like, I don't think a Dolphin should wear 13. I don't think a Packers should wear number four. There are some numbers that I think no, no Patriots should ever wear number 12 again. Did you hear the Joe Theismann thing with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, Dwayne Haskins? What? Oh. Haskins has requested seven. Uh-huh. Seven hasn't been given out since, since Joe Theismann. Theismann played, but it hasn't been retired. So Joe Theismann was saying he would, he would consider it. Racist. He would give it his blessing. He, this is what he said. He said, I want to, I, I heard him, his clip. I want to meet with the kid. I want to get to know. Oh wow! I, so the he Jersey. Get it all. No, no, he no. Wants no, to no. have an interview process. Yeah. He said he may be open to it, but he needs to meet the kid and get to know him a little bit before he before he gives it up. Danny, did you did you have to meet with Odell Beckham Jr. before he thirteen? <laughs> I did. Yeah, did you I mad that they didn't blessing. retire that number. No, actually, I told him not to let him wear because I knew he was a bad dude. He was going to be selfish. <laughs> I didn't want my number sullied like that. I knowing Joe Theismann. Yeah. This is a total Joe Theismann move. He's going to milk it. I love Joe. Like, yeah. he's great, but he loves Joe Theismann. Joe loves you Joe. Know? And if you can milk it for a little bit extra publicity, here's the thing, though. Would you want to wear it after the way his career ended with that nasty leg injury? Yeah, it could be a jinx. I might want to move on. Yeah. And be like, let me go number eight or some some other number right. uh, of that history. But it'll be pretty cool because he'll be wearing the seven. I did see him. I think he already had the chain with seven. Yeah, he's expensive. He's yeah, you're all seven. in on there. What if Joe Theismann said, hey, if you give me 25 grand, I'll, you can buy it out of retirement. Beat it. I had to buy a number Beat from it. a teammate. Beat it. <laughs> Maybe. A current number. Uh, that would be dope, though. Yes. If you could start some of those numbers yeah, have in the nice, ring of honor. Absolutely. Right? Open it up for yeah, business. Baby. All right. Welcome back to Kinnell and Bell. Raja and I talking a little NHL playoffs. We can't do it on our own. So right. we have to defer to our expert, our CBS Sports hockey analyst, Pete Blackburn. What's up, Pete? How we doing? What's going on? All right. So we asked you the first time we talked to you going to the playoffs, you gave us a lock. They lost. Who was that? That was the uh, Tampa that Bay. That would be the Tampa Bay. The Lightning. Uh, then we asked for the, another lock. And he gave us another one. That was then the Golden Knights. They lost. And then we told him not yeah, to jinx his team. Don't jinx your Boston Bruins. That's your squad. They are down two to one yeah. to the Blue Jackets. Are you nervous yet? Or is this just par for the course? Like, we're going to be okay. Everybody breathe easy. I'm a little more nervous today than I was <laughs> yesterday uh, after the way that game went yesterday. But I'm still, I still think the Bruins are the better team. I still believe in them. I still think that they pull out this series. I mean, they were down to the, to the Maple Leafs last round, and they showed a little resilience and came back. So uh, I'm not telling you to change your bet yet. Um, hey, I want to ask you about this name. Who? Is, tell me. I'm, I'm a, I was glad you went with this. Sarah, I was wondering if you were going to play it off like you knew who he was. No, I don't. Right, I don't. Good, but I, I don't either. Obviously, he's playing really well, so I want to know about him. Sergei Bobrovsky? Yes. Yeah, he's a, he's a Vezina winner. He's a, he's a veteran goaltender. He's very accomplished. Uh, I'm surprised by how well he's playing because he had a little bit of a rough year. He had a rough start to this year. He's in a contract year, by the way. Worth mentioning, that guy's going to cash in this summer due to how he's playing uh, in these playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, he's been frustrating. The Bruins offense can't get anything going, and he's a big reason why. So the Hurricanes might have an issue at goalie, too, with some injuries. How worried do we for them with their goalie situation? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a concern. You know, Peter Mrazek is is not the world's best goaltender, but he's done well for them. And they have another guy who, who's done pretty well for them in Curtis McElhaney. So maybe that they don't get much of a drop-off there. But, yeah, it's obviously a concern when the guy you've been rolling with and having success success with in net 
goes down and gets hurt. And, and overall, the Hurricanes are struggling with injuries. Last just last game alone, they, they, they lost a forward, they lost a defenseman, and they lost their goalie. So uh, having a pretty tough time in terms of injury. But they're, keep, they're staying rolling. They're still winning. So uh, maybe, maybe they still keep it going. But McElhaney can get it done for them. All right, so I wanted to ask you about Cal McCarr because he's doing something that I thought was really cool where he's playing in the Frozen Four uh, in college, obviously the Frozen Final Four, uh, the college playoffs. And then, like, within a week, he's in the NHL playoffs. He's 20 years old. How frequently do you see this happen in the NHL? Like, is this something normal or is this kid really that special? No, it happens like it happens pretty somewhat frequently where, you know, the college season ends and a, and a team will have a guy's rights and they'll call him up to help uh, with their playoff run. It, it rarely happens with a defenseman because the defenseman, the learning curve is a little bit longer uh, and it's tough to, to, to just go from straight from college to adapt to the speed of the NHL. But Kale McCarr is really that good. And you look at a four-day stretch that he had, uh, you know, where he on Friday he won the Hobie Baker as called as uh, college hockey's best player, basically their MVP. And then, you know, and Saturday he played in the Frozen Four. Sunday he signed with the Avalanche. And then on Monday he was playing in a, a, a playoff game for the Avalanche. It's just insane. And to come in and have an impact that he's having just immediately right off the bat, it looks like he's been with that team all year long. And him and his D partner have pretty good chemistry and they're making plays. So uh, Kel McCarr is the real, real deal. Raja. Could Pete and I be long lost brothers with I'm, our look? There's a striking resemblance. I think um, there is too. Yeah. What, what you got him by 20? <laughs> I was going to say brothers. <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, you were going to go father I mean, son? Yeah. I mean, I think we're like, like twins for Your dad snuck one past the goalie like 20 years later. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a compliment to Pete then, obviously. All right. Fair enough. All right. At, least I, at least I get a lot more tan in my future. <laughs> that's right. Hey, oh, it's more and naturally too. All right, Pete. Good stuff, man. Enjoy the, uh, the playoffs. Thanks. All right. Good stuff there from Pete Blackburn. My glasses are newer. Mm-hmm. They are by necessity in case anybody's wondering. Right. They're not I, for I, looks. I, I have had those before in the past, but I actually do need these to ride around. I am at the point now where, and it just started happening the last couple months, where it's this one where someone will put something in my face and I'll be yeah. Menu, like menus, something like that. Yeah, darker lighting. Starting to be affected by things like on, on the, on movie screens and yeah. stuff. I gotta go get my eyes checked. This is depressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to something better and more optimistic. So that 2020 NFL draft odds were released. Yes, the 2020 NFL draft odds, not the 2019, which just transpired. We saw how that unfolded. So they always come out with these super early mock drafts. And now you have odds of who will go number one overall. The favorite. Is one Tua Tagovailoa quarterback from Alabama? It's impossible right now. I it's think so ridiculous. too. This it's is impossible. absolutely ridiculous. Jake Fromm is at six to one, and so is Justin Herbert from Oregon. This is really stupid. I would like to know how many times the actual favorite at this point in the year wound up being the number one pick. Has that? That'd be a good question. They're going to be close. Like Nick Bosa last year was one of the top favorites, but so yeah, but he Oliver was, but he was Houston. not number one. Exactly, he was not number one, uh, number one overall pick. Ed Oliver from Houston was a favorite at one time. Did not become the uh, number one overall pick. At this time last year, and I know this was said a lot during the draft, Kyler Murray was not even the starting quarterback yet at Oklahoma. Like, no one had him on any of these well, drafts. two years ago, you think Baker Mayfield was anywhere no, in the No, exact same thing. Pick? Exact right. same thing. Neither one of those guys were there. I think, yeah, it's great if you're Tua. It helps you get an insurance policy. Jake Fromm, same thing. Sure. My hunch tells me it'll probably be Justin Herbert. Um 
I think it'll be interesting to see if Tua definitely comes out. Why would he stay any longer? I don't. I don't know. Bar, barring barring a solid uh, injury free year, why would he stay? At some point, so he is a redshirt sophomore coming up this year. His numbers could not have gotten any better last year. Very. I mean, they were ridiculous. Look at the complete seventy percent. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe four thousand yards. I hate this because I think he could use another year. I think it'll be interesting. Seven to one TD to interception ratio. Yeah, he was off the charts. He had one of the best seasons we've ever seen. The problem with his projection is that it's really hard to see um, when he's playing against such – with a dominant offensive line around him, when he has these unbelievable – you know, all-day all to throw. When he was in trouble a little bit, he did not look good. Anytime a team got to his legs – and I'm not saying dirty, but just tackled him a lot, he'd start limping around and it would struggle. You know, right, 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 right. No, good there too. I think true. He, but – He's gonna. He's he'll probably he'll be a top. He'll right, be- let me ask you a question because you rarely see at least I lefty quarterbacks. What's the deal with them? But lefty basketball players, you know, some people think it looks a little sweeter their stroke and stuff like that. I think like, it does. I love like Boomer Sison. I always thought he threw the prettiest balls. So yeah, young. I didn't think it was the prettiest, but I think it's just different. Present any problems for for offenses nah. in terms of your drops and which no, way you're I don't think so. I mean, I think for right tackle versus left tackle in terms of protecting their blind side that like, could be a little bit you know more I mean? problematic. But yeah. now there's you know it used to be the left tackle was such a big deal like ten years ago. Now it's sort of you need both tackles, right? You know, because the offenses they're trying to be, you know, keep people guessing, so you you can't really figure out, you know, where to attack. Yeah, obviously the blind side is the most important one to protect. Um, some correct projections: Jameis Winston, okay, was projected to be number one, did get number one overall. Jadavion Clowney projected to be number one was almost to his detriment. That's what that's why I don't like this is when some guys. See the projection. They see the ability to be the number one t- pick, and then they shut it down. Yeah, Davion no. Clowney famously, like, he started, like, just standing, like, almost holding guys off. Like, Pro- hey, watch the ankles, bro. Watch yeah. the ankles, bro. <laughs> and I get it. I understand it. But I think it does impact some of these guys mentally when they're playing, when they see the sure. money that's at stake uh, and odds there. Jake Fromm will be interesting for me to see if he can boost his draft stock. I always thought he was a really good college quarterback, not a great uh, potential NFL quarterback, but he's really played. What, what, well. what about him? Um, just I thought he was a good college quarterback. I don't know if he has the top tier arm strength, but I did, I watched him in person at the Rose Bowl and his ball did jump off his arm. He does, he's a bigger dude and I love his intangibles. He really is a good leader. So maybe I'm just mm-hmm. talking myself out. I, I pictured him more as like AJ McCarron. Gotcha. Like AJ McCarron got selected in the third or fourth round and, and he was one of the best college quarterbacks we've seen. Right. I just don't know if Jake Fromm is going to test the way that Justin Herbert is. Justin Herbert's going to be, you know, 6'5", 230. He's going to blaze at the 40. He's going to have a really smooth throwing motion. He's going to be this year's Daniel Jones, except probably with a better resume. Right. By the way, I was thinking about Daniel Jones some more, and this is my Miami Dolphins influence. The more I think about Daniel Jones getting drafted sixth overall, it reminds me of the Dolphins selecting Ryan Tannehill number eight overall. Yeah. I thought it was a stretch. They believed in him. They were like, nope, we see his athleticism. We can project it. Because he didn't have a great college career at right. Texas A&M. He was playing receiver for most of the time. Didn't have a lot of experience on the field. They said, we see the potential. We like it. And then you just saw what happened. You know, right. he was he was okay. He was pretty decent. And then they moved on from him, traded away to Tennessee. I feel like this is a similar type of stretch for the New York Giants. It's, is it? Uh, well, how long did Ryan Tannehill play? It was seven years. Six years. Did he make it that long? He probably, yeah, you're probably right because he made his second contract. I mean, what, what type of career do you have to have to warrant being the number six pick in the draft? Oh, I think, if, I think to warrant it, like I, I, it's hard to say bust with Ryan Tannehill. Right. Because he did get a second contract. Like, so you don't use the term bust, but he's, what he gives you is quarterback purgatory. You don't want to have a quarterback who's just okay. 
you yeah. know, like that can yeah. is serviceable. Yep. You want to me a top ten pick should be w- able to get you to the Super Bowl. Franchise changing. Franchise changing. He's there. There's never a question mark. You can he can you you always feel like you have a chance to get the Super Bowl. Do you don't even have to win a Super Bowl? You know what's funny though is that Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota are kind of in that period they're right like now. a step above quarterback purgatory for me i don't know i still i still think both those franchises feel like they're or high high end quarterback purgatory yes right high end, but they need to figure it out like this i think these next years this year coming up for both of them is essential that they show that they can take the next step the yeah. problem is in the nfl usually you take that step by your third season you know it doesn't take four or five years you kind right. of are what you are after the third season and unfortunately for them, they have not uh, proven to be that that next level. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was drafted in 2012, so six years. Of Miami six Dolphins. years, yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I, I give them credit for actually making the decision to move on. It'll be interesting to see. All right, all right. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. We are a sports show here at CBS Sports HQ. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Canel and Bell. Check out the podcast on iTunes. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure you watch us at CBS Sports HQ online every Felt day we the stream live. Oh, then we were a sports show. Well, no, the reason I want to tell is because we cover everything. We don't just do basketball. We don't just do football. Correct. We do baseball. We do hockey. We had Pete Blackburn on. Oh. We do horse racing. We do golf. We do it all. And we're going to talk about one of the greatest athletic performances of our lifetime, which is happening right now on Jeopardy. On Jeopardy. That's right. My man, James Holzhauer is tearing it up. Mm. I think we are seeing a shift. We're seeing a new... So Ken Jennings was the Michael Jordan of Jeopardy. Sure. He had over two and a half million in winnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had 74, 74 straight games. wins. My man James Holzhauer is up to 19 straight winning uh, wins, but he's already at 1.4 million. I think he's going to shatter the win total. I mean, the the, the winnings total. What I don't is, know if he what is the more important games. number there? Oh, the seventy-four games. What are we talking about? No, no. What, I mean, what do you think I, is more I, important? I, no, listen. It's the I, money. I had this argument the other day. What's the what? well? What's more impressive in terms of uh, you're talking about a, a legacy defining thing? Like making more money, sure, is great. Yeah. But there have been a lot of players make more money than other players that they weren't better than. I got one stat for you. The average win total. Ken Jennings average. So hold on, I need a picture of this because I was arguing with somebody the other day about it. Average win total thirty-four thousands per game. James Holzhauer is averaging 75,000 per game. So not only is he winning, it'd be like if you were averaging 50 a game as opposed to 30 a game and you're winning the titles. Yeah, at the same but time. if you burn out, you have to get close to there. He has to get, I think he has to get up to 50, which he'll already be past the money. Okay. But I think he has to get around 50 to, and then if he lost at 52, then he's in the conversation. Games, no, then he, he surpasses. Dude, no, 74 wins. That's is, a long time. It's a long time to be winning. And I don't care what your total is. Why You're talking not? about 74 championships. <laughs> that's, that is 74 rings versus you, 19 rings. That's have not you even. watched any of it? You know how many people get paid in the NBA that's that true. don't deserve to be paid? Yes, that is true. Like, and so I guess what I'm saying is I need the wins. I'm going with the wins. The wins is what's going to cement it for me. If, All right. If so get close. According to Las Vegas, the odds are out. Holzhauer, will he beat Ken Jennings 74 game win streak? No. Yes is the underdog at plus 140. No is minus 180. So most people are on your side said no, he won't. Uh, will, uh, Holzhauer beat the win total? Everyone is saying yes, the heavy yes. favorite at minus 220. Have you watched any of the episodes? I'm going to start I texting. Not, and I said I was going to do it yesterday. I have watched not. back to back. So the thing that's interesting is that two shows ago, yesterday was a smoke. Like he blew the dude, he blew the two people out. Right. Yesterday it was real, or two days ago it was really, really close. He only won by $18. Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned that on the show yesterday. I think he is susceptible. I don't think he's this. Ken Jennings is like a savant with 
the questions correct and the knowledge which is obviously what it takes to win through. This guy's, but, a, this guy's a, but he's got the button. He's got yeah. the athleticism to get right. the quick button. I'm so slow with my button. But push. he also, the way he plays the game, uh, it makes up for what he lacks in knowledge because he goes all in. He gets this massive lead. Right. Because he takes all the higher numbers first, the higher dollar values. He creates this lead where at final jeopardy, he, he knows exactly what he can play and the other people don't have enough they, money they to catch, catch him. So he's yeah. like, he's going to win no matter what. And then he toys with him with all these different numbers. Although Coca told me some very disconcerting news, very disconcerting. So apparently he used to do these messages, be like, happy birthday, so and so. Hi, mom. Hi, like all these people. He's like, hey, I miss you to his daughter. Right. Apparently he's not allowed to do that Pretty anymore. Shut that down. Huh? What's like, we're going bat flips and baseball and we can't even have a guy. No, that's send right a in message your, that's on, right in on your Jeopardy? lane. That's right in your lane. You're the no, no, most I want police. him to be able that's to right, have no, it. That's right there. in your lane. Uh-huh. I say, let the man celebrate. Put let a Twitter poll everybody. up on that on your Twitter account. Yes. Just we, see I if that's will. not right in your no, lane. The no fun police. Bat flips and writing messages on Jeopardy. He's not showing up any of the other contestants. If he would have said like, hey, look at, she's a nerd. She can't hang with me. Then I wouldn't be okay with it. But if he says, hi, mom, or hi to his daughter, totally okay with it. No fun. I'm totally okay with it. All right. We'll have to keep you posted on that. That might be leading our show from now on uh, if he keeps the streak going. The big three right here on CBS Sports Network. Uh, tonight, the draft at 10 p.m. And yeah. you can watch the whole league, which is going to be awesome right here on CBS Sports There are uh, some Network. names in this draft. There boy. are some big names. Some Bonzi of my friends Wells, are in Carlos this draft. Carlos Arroyo, Cedric Sabalos. Cedric Sabalos is 57 years old. So is he that old? I love I love Ced. Ced is my dude. No, but Ced's got to be, I don't know, 48. I'm gonna look it up. Old said Sabalos, 48. But that's, that's still in the wheelhouse. Kobe I think you Gibson, should be playing. Uh, Eddie House, I saw Eddie House recently. Eddie must have lost some weight if he's playing in the big three, cause Ooh. Eddie was looking big. How do you know? Some of those- I saw, watched, no, I saw Ed Eddie- Sabalos is only 49. So he's still with a four in front of his name. Alright, right, I'm not hating on him. Casa was looking- Mario Chalmers was just playing now, not that long not ago. Not that long ago. Joe Smith. Jason Richardson. Greg Oden, Oden, former number one all pick Steve with uh. Blake, Ronnie Brewer. Those aren't bad names. Carlos Arroyo is a good friend of mine. <laughs> Would you take Greg Oden with the number one overall pick in the big three after the way his career played out? Oh man, I don't know. The big three, uh, you give it to him, get buckets. I don't know, dude. I've gotten, I don't watch the big three that much. Well, you're going to I, now because you're going to be on love, the call. We talked to the pregame the show. Three, um, Charles Oakley, by the way. He did not play in the big 55. three. He's 55. He's only 55. He did not play in the big three. He coaching. did too. No, he did, he, I know he coaches, but he actually got out there and got on that the That was court. the first year when they were yes. trying to drum up. He said he didn't play. He was not a viable player. No, so he did too. The, he was bullying people, which I loved. He was like pushing dudes around saying, get out of my way. It's going to be interesting. Oh, big oak getting out there. You got to make sure that you. Who is your number one pick? Fresh. Oh, my number one pick in this one, probably, uh. One of the young guys? Well, because of the youth? Uh, I'm going to go Bonzi. All right. You go Bonzi Wells. Yeah. Bucket getting, like, relatively young. Um, Gaddy House is fat. One on one type of player. We had a guy on our team. His nickname was House because he weighed like 400 pounds. So we just called him House. House. He was big as a house. Yeah, Eddie was, last time I saw Eddie, he was pushing a couple I'd go Mario movies. Chalmers just for the youth factor. Just Rio? The game. All right. We got to get to it. Wednesday. All right. Shoe showdown. I think you're I'm first. undefeated. You're not. Maybe your ponies, in those there. ponies last week did not beat my, uh. So I'm just going little classic right here. I love Rogers. the back of these. These are the, uh, Air Jordan 9s, the UNC version. These actually were released not that long ago. Although I'm not a huge fan of patent leather. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And what I really don't like are the, uh, the inside of these with the little, uh, what do you call that? A sleeve inside? Yeah, it's like a sock liner. But I, the real reason I got these, my daughter got them. So we have a pair of father daughter Jordans that we wear to be twins. All right. What do you got? Yes, what I are you rocking today? I don't today? love them. Uh-huh. I'm going Kobe 6, Camo, Photo Blue with the, uh, with the Volt. 
That's pretty solid. Yeah. I like that. Now, is there any story behind these? Or are these just, uh, hey, did you wait in line for those? No, nah, no. Nah, I just like the Kobe's. They fit. They were a nice low top. They were good to play in, although I did not play in these. Everybody get a good look. The Kobe's, I think, are the winner. best for just chilling. Like to wear with jeans. Yeah, I can wear them with jeans and stuff yeah. like that. But no ankle sport. Not the best basketball shoe on the market right now. Ask anybody playing. They're all wearing Kobe's. What is Giannis playing? He's got his own now. Giannis just debuted his own shoe. Did he really? I think so. They're playing in a Kobe Freak, all year. Freak. Check him out. All right, go vote for me. <laughs> Definitely sweeter. We'll be back tomorrow to tell you who won.